we're going to turn now to God's Word, and we're going to be reading from Luke's Gospel as we continue uh, reading through Luke's Gospel and our series, uh, Christ When There's Crisis. And we're reading from Luke chapter 7, reading from verses 11 to 17. So, reading from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17, and Caris will lead us in our Bible reading, and then Gareth will come and share from God's Word this morning. Caris, and then Gareth. This Bible reading is from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the buyer they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Karis, thank you so much for for reading for us um, from from Luke chapter 7 this morning. that's my daughter, so uh, doubly proud this morning. Well done, Pet. It's good. My name's Gareth. I'm, I'm the, one of the ministers here in Orangefield. And this is, a, this is a strange passage we're looking at today. So let's be still. Let's take a moment and pray before we, we step into it. Let's be still. Father, we love your word. We love these stories about Jesus, but honestly, sometimes they, they mess with our heads and our hearts. And this is one of those stories that the more we lean into it, the more it does that to us. And yet we want to we recognize that your word is truth. And this morning, as we come before you, we, we're believing that that you want to speak to us from this passage. So pour out your Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, in every single living room. Open up minds, open up hearts in expectation of what you would say to us and do within us this morning. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So before Christmas, uh, 14th of December, that seems like a lifetime ago now. I get that, so do I do. Um, there was a church in America, Bethel Church, that, that hit the, the news all over the world uh, in, in, in a really tragic way. There was a, Their worship leaders had a little girl called Olive, and in a really tragic thing that happened, when Olive was two years old, she died on the 14th of December, 2019. And the leaders of Bethel Church and the family circle, they invited Christians all over the world to pray for a miracle, to pray for God to move and to bring Olive back to life. 
And they prayed for about seven days and fasted and worshipped as a church, believing for a miracle. And yet, ultimately, that prayer wasn't answered in the way they were asking. And Olive went to be with the Lord in heaven. She, she didn't come back to life. And I share that story with you. It's really, really sad, tragic story. I share it with you as we look at this passage. Because I want us to look at it through real world eyes. I guess when you hear that story from Bethel, like one of the things going on in, in my head at the time, and even now, and I, I guess in yours as well, I'm sure, is were they right to do that? As a leadership, were they right to do that? Pastorally, was that the right thing to do? Was it right to, to ask people to pray in that way for so long, so publicly? I'm going to let you wrestle with that question. The question I want to pose, though, is, is it possible that God could have answered that prayer? They're not unrelated questions, but, but I guess that's the question I want to lean into as we look at this text that Karis read for us this morning. We, we see Jesus stepping into Nain, and as he walks into this village, there's a funeral happening. The, a widow whose only son has died, who is left destitute in her grief. And his body's been carried through the town on an open coffin, a bar. And Jesus sees what has happened. His heart breaks for her. And he walks over, he interrupts the funeral, he interrupts her grief, and he touches the body of this young man. And he says, young man, get up, young man, rise up. And life is restored to this man who, who had been dead. It's not the only time we see Jesus do this. He did it for Jairus' daughter. He used the same words, little girl, get up. He did it for his friend Lazarus at the tomb. Lazarus had been dead for four days. He had been placed in the tomb. And Jesus raised him back to life. When Jesus himself died on the cross, we're told that the curtain in the temple was torn in two and the bodies of saints who were buried around Jerusalem were restored to life. They came out of their tombs and walked about the city and were seen. When you go into the Old Testament, we see the prophet Elijah and then a separate incident, the prophet Elisha, praying for and raising Two little boys back to life. And then after the prophet Elisha died, we're told that an Israelite man who, who died um, touched or encountered the bones of the prophet Elisha and was raised back to life himself. When you go into the New Testament, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples and friends, um, came to a place and a lady, a really godly Christian lady called Dorcas, sometimes she's called Tabitha, had died and, and he prayed for her and God brought her back to life. And then the Apostle Paul was preaching a sermon and this young guy, probably a teenager, Eutychus fell asleep. You 
or possibly nodding off during my sermon now, uh, fell asleep. He fell out the window and, and we're told he died. And Paul stepped outside and, and prayed for him and God raised him back to life. What are we to make of these stories? There's nine stories in the Bible of people who have died being raised to life by the prayers of God's people. What's interesting about this story in, in Nain, uh, Dr. Luke, who, who wrote this gospel, he wrote this about 27 years after the miracle happened. And there's a really strong chance that, that he had, Luke had written this account and this guy was still alive. 27 years later, he was probably still alive. And I, I guarantee you, he was telling that story to everybody he came across. When Luke wrote this down, people could have went to Nain and maybe seen this guy and asked him about the experience and what happened that day when Jesus prayed for him and raised him back to life. What are we to do with these stories? When you look through church history, you see other stories like them as well. In the 15th century, Catherine of Siena is alleged to have, have prayed for people and saw life come back into their bodies. In the 16th century, Francis Xavier. In the 2nd century, Arrhenius uh, has written down some persons that were dead have been raised among us and have continued among us for many years. What are we to do with these stories? What are we to do with them? Are we to believe them? Are we to ignore them? I almost prayed that prayer once myself. A friend of mine, a little while back, they had a baby who was born, but they were told he wasn't going to survive post-birth. And he was born and they got to hold him, but he only lived a couple of hours and he died. It was the saddest, saddest thing I've ever been part of. And I called at the hospital to see them and um, the little baby was in a cold cot beside his mother and I got to hold him. I could hardly find the words to speak. The tears were, were running down my cheeks as I, I stood with them in their grief and their loss. And part of me wanted to pray that prayer. I think it was desperation rather than revelation. But honestly, what I felt God said to me in that moment was to pray for peace. And those are the words I prayed. But I, but I do want to say this morning, if I believe, if you believe that God is God, if we believe that he is the creator of life, if we believe that, that he can heal today, and we do as a church, we have to at least be open to the possibility that he can raise the dead. Nine times in the Bible we see it. And someday, you or I may be in a situation where we feel God tell us to pray that prayer. But, but I want to clarify, I want to, I want to put a caveat on that as well. I want to give you a perspective. The Bible 
covers about two and a half thousand years of history. And in two and a half thousand years of biblical history, we have nine stories of God raising someone back to life. This is not something that happens often. I wonder, perhaps one of the reasons it doesn't happen more often, honestly, is that, is that eternal life, everlasting life, is better than anything this life can offer. I think, I, I think even as Christians, we struggle to hold on to that truth and that reality. That there is a difference, and let's be clear about this, there's a difference in someone, like we read about in these stories, who has died and is raised back to life, that life is restored to their body, they are resuscitated in some way. There, there is a difference because, to that because one day they are going to die again. Their cells are going to break down. Life is going to leave their body. There is a difference to those stories and the understanding we have of Christian resurrection to what we see in Jesus when he was raised from the dead. It's different than these other stories. Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is ahead of us is infinitely better than anything we experience at the moment in this life. You see, this miracle that happens at Nain, I think it's an incredible story that, that pulls our heads and hearts in different directions. But, but ultimately, I think the reason it's there is that it's pointing to Jesus, the one who is the resurrection and the life. It's pointing to who he is and it's pointing to what he has come to do because he was a young man and he too, you know, in a couple of years' time, he, he too died. He was executed on the cross. He died and his body was taken down and he was carried through the streets of Jerusalem and out of the town, not by a whole crowd of mourners, but by, by Joseph of Arimathea and maybe a few other followers. His funeral happened just like this guy's did. And then on the third day, God raised Jesus back to life. He resurrected him back to life. What the Bible tells us is that death is the consequence of sin. Death is inevitable. Death is, is the consequence of sin. But Jesus didn't simply escape death temporarily like we read about here in Nain. What happened to him? His resurrection was different. Jesus' perfect life and his perfect love and his perfect sacrifice actually defeated death. It smashed the teeth of death. It made a way through death, not just for him, but for all who would put their trust in him. When Jesus was raised back to life, it wasn't into his previous body. He, his body was transformed, we're told in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, from something that was perishable and was subject to death and decay to something that was physical and eternal and would last forever. Jesus' resurrection was different. Paul calls it the first fruits, the promise of what God will do for his followers and for the whole creation when Jesus returns. Let me be clear for a second. We have a hope in Christianity that is unlike anything else, any other religion, any other philosophy, any other worldview has to offer. What we believe in, and forgive me if, 
If I'm saying something to you, you already know, but I think it's really important to state this. What we believe as Christians is that we all die. Okay, maybe for some, Jesus will return first, but, but we all die. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death is inevitable. And when we die, there's a separation of our body and our soul, our spirits. Our bodies go in the ground to decompose, but our souls, the souls of Christians, go to heaven, go to paradise. Jesus looked at the thief on the cross. He said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. But the souls of non-believers go to hell. That's what the Bible teaches us. But both of those states of existence are temporary, and that's what sometimes we forget. Both those states of existence are temporary because we're told that one day Jesus will return and everyone will be given a resurrected physical body just like Jesus was. And then what we see in Revelation 20 and other places in Scripture that there will be a judgment that every single person that ever lived will stand before Jesus, stand before the judgment seat, and every thought, every word, every action will be led bare. Every time you thought to yourself or, or were motivated by the idea of my will be done rather than thy will be done, every one of those accounts will be led bare. And for people who aren't Christians, people who haven't trusted Jesus, people who haven't asked him for forgiveness, asked him for eternal life, people who aren't Christians. Revelation 22 tells us that they will be cast into the lake of fire, which is reserved for, for the devil and his demons, eternally separated from God's presence, from his life, from love, from hope for eternity. But those who have trusted Jesus are, are also I believe those who haven't reached an age or stage where they can make that choice themselves. Those who have trusted Jesus will be given a place in the new heaven and new earth that Revelation 21 talks about, where we see the best parts of this creation renewed and restored and redeemed in that place where there is no more tears, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more death. People say, how can you believe something so cruel? How can you believe something so exclusive? It's not. It's the reality and it's the truth. And today, God is reaching out to you who are watching today. He is reaching out to you and saying, I, I want you to be with me. I want you to know me in this life. I want you to know my peace, my forgiveness, my hope. But I want to bring you through death when it's time into a better reality than anything you can imagine. And you have the choice whether you, you choose to try and do this yourself or you accept his free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Today, God is inviting you to know this living hope. Yeah, like we're, we're 12 weeks into lockdown. The corona death rate and infection rate seems to be falling in this country and other countries. But the truth is, church, the truth is that, that one day every single one of us is going to die. And one, and one of these journeys is going to be our reality. One of these journeys is going to be our destiny. And 
If you are a Christian today, I, I want to say really clearly, it's, it's really, really important that we fix our eyes on this hope. We must not lose sight of it. Because this hope will shape our purpose today. If we lose sight of this hope, we forget why we're here. But if we fix our eyes on this hope, then it shapes our purpose today. The culture that we live in, it just seems to tolerate everything except intolerance, doesn't it? It tolerates everything except intolerance. The zeitgeist, the spirit of our age, the, the, the philosophy of our day, it says, you do you. We, we actively encourage people to define their own identity and define their own sexuality and, and pursue their own happiness, but at the same time to deal with their own shame and their own fear and their own guilt. I cannot... It cannot be inconsequential that that mental health rates are exploding all around us. It cannot be inconsequential that, that suicide rates are up in this country, that more marriages are breaking down, that people are finding life harder and harder to do, all happening as people move further and further away from God, further and further away from truth, further and further away from hope. And, and, and church, I, I, know, I, I know it's hard to talk about Jesus. I know it's hard to be with your, your family and your friends who aren't Christians and find the courage and find the words to move the conversation into a spiritual place. I know it's hard to, to, to move to that personal conversation about, well, what about you? What do you think about Jesus? What do, what do you believe? Would you ever think about becoming a Christian? I know, church, it's hard to to pray and to fast and to do it with tenacity and expectation and to stay up all night just crying out for, for friends and family members and colleagues who don't know Jesus, who don't have that hope in their lives. But but all around us, and let's be clear, but I, I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher. You guys know me. But this is what we believe. This is orthodox Christianity. And all around us, people are moving towards a hopeless eternity. And I believe in these days. I I, I believe it deep in my bones. I believe in these days that God is looking for a remnant, uh, a faithful cohort of his people from different denominations who are willing to fall on their knees, who, who are hungry to go deeper with God, who are not willing to, se- to settle for, for the status quo and for cliches, who, who are crying out to God to have their hearts broken for the lost, who are willing to weep and pray into the night like we see the psalmist doing, crying out for God to move, crying out for an outpouring of his spirit, crying out for an awakening. We've done it for a hundred days. We've been doing it for 24-7 prayer throughout the past six months. We're not doing this to look good on Instagram. We're not doing it so it sounds good on social media. We're doing it because we believe deep in our bones that unless God pours out his spirit on this land, there are people who are going to die not knowing him. I know it's hard. I know it's scary. I know we don't want to force our beliefs on other people. I know, I, I know most of all that desperately, desperately, we don't want to offend anybody. But the gospel is truth whether you believe it or not. 
Jesus is real, whether you believe it or not. Heaven is real. Hell is real, whether you believe it or not. And one day we're going to find out with certainty. There is a cost to your comfort and there is a cost to your convenience in following Jesus. When we look at this miracle in Nain, that's what we see with Jesus. There's a cost. There's a cost to his agenda. He interrupted his agenda to go and stand beside this grieving woman. There's a cost to his reputation. He interrupts a funeral. Who does that? There's a cost to his cleanliness. He touches a dead body and breaks every Jewish rule in the book. There's a cost to your comfort and there's a cost to your convenience when you follow Jesus. And we know that because when we look at the cross, guys, there is a cost in the kingdom of God. Love and hope and compassion are costly. It costs Jesus. And when we give our lives to him and follow him, it's going to cost us. But the reward is his presence. The reward is his love. The reward is his forgiveness. And the reward is eternal life. I want to finish today with a poem that I came across. It's called The Cost of Compassion. And it's written looking at Jesus at this story in Nain. The cost of compassion was allowing his heart to break for a mother's grief. Tears running down the dust of his sunburned cheeks with no relief. The cost of compassion was inconveniencing his day, his plan, his journey, his sermon, letting her pain, her posture, her prayer become his main thing. The cost of compassion was touching the body, becoming unclean, risking reputation, allowing God to be seen, to be present, to look to thy, praying the impossible prayer, tal ye kumai. The cost of compassion sees kingdom come, but it's hard won. The cost of compassion was arms open, body broken. Father, forgive them words spoken. Life ended, grave descended. Darkness was the cost of compassion. The cost of compassion became the living hope. Death defeated, now in heaven seated. Love, life, purpose, place. If you would say yes to him in your heart, make space. And he looks at you and he loves you. And he says, will you follow me? Will you feel their pain? Will you release heaven's hope? Will you Embrace the cost of compassion.
Let's pray together. And as we pray, I, Heavenly Father, I ask now that you allow your Holy Spirit to lay on each one of our hearts friends, family members who, who don't yet know you. Begin, Lord, to break our hearts for them. Bring tears to our eyes. Allow us to feel about them the way you feel about them. Maybe if they're sitting in the room with you, just speak their name out loud. But Father, I pray for, for your people just connecting to this sermon now. I, I, I pray, Lord, that, that as a church, you would break our hearts for the lost of this city and the lost of this land. Just move us beyond apathy. Move us beyond busyness. Move us beyond that, that feeling that we don't want to defend and, it's, and it, it's okay to believe whatever you want to believe. And Forgive us for those things and break our hearts, Lord. Break our hearts. That we will be moved to, to pray without ceasing. that we will continue to bring them before you and cry out for, for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in their lives as you help them to see Jesus as, as Lord and Savior and living hope. Help us to pray and to keep praying, and, and to keep praying, and to wake up in the middle of the night with, with dreams and prayers on our lips. To keep hungering for more of you in this land. And if you're watching today, and you, you realize to yourself that, that you're not a Christian, or you're not sure if you are, and you, you want that forgiveness, you want that peace. Maybe you've been thinking about it for a while, maybe you've been avoiding it for a while, or maybe this is the first time you've, you, you've heard this and you're just convicted, I need to get right with God. I, I, I need that certainty of heaven and eternal life. Pray this prayer with me now. This is the prayer to become a Christian. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for the sins of the world. And I believe you rose again on the third day. Jesus, forgive me my sins. I'm sorry for the, the mess in my life. I turn to you now. Take away my sin. Put your Holy Spirit in my heart. Make me your child both now and even forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.